Welcome to the Identity Matters Worldview Institute. Hi, my name is Dr. Finney, and I will be your teacher today, along with Dr. Joe Stoll. We're in a series called the Revelation Series. We're on part four. The title of our message today is Three Phases, Past, Present, and Future. It is important for us to understand that the book of Revelation is laid out in these three phases, and we need to keep this in mind as we go through our study today. Let's get a little more history from Dr. Joe Stowell. Joe's going to be giving us a little more history in regard to the idol worship that was taking place during the time that John wrote the book of Revelation. Let's listen. This is one of the most interesting locations in Istanbul, Turkey. And Dr. Mark Fairchild is the professor of Bible and religion at Huntington University in Huntington, Indiana. However, more important to us today, Mark is an expert in the early centuries that the church grew up. Uh, He knows much about the environment in which, for instance, the Christians in the seven churches of Revelation would have lived and experienced their lives on a daily basis. So Mark, welcome, and tell us a little bit about where we find ourselves. Thank you, Joe. Um, The Istanbul Archaeological Museum is one of the most important archaeological museums in all the world. During the more than 400 years that the Ottoman Empire existed, all the important biblical artifacts came back to Istanbul, and that's why they're here. Uh, What we see before us, for instance, are altars to unknown gods. Hmm. Uh, When Paul went to Athens, for instance, Uh, He was perusing the artifacts and the altars, the statues in the Athenian Agora. And he also observed statues to unknown deities. And he used that as an opportunity to proclaim the true living God 
and not a God of wood or stone, but a God who truly lives. And certainly symbolic of the polytheism and the paganism of the world in which those early Christians had to navigate their lives. And, and he gave them hope at a time when these people were struggling with deities who could be very uh, unpredictable. How is it that bad things happen to good people? Well, it's because we don't acknowledge deities that we're not even aware of. And so there's a great fear among some of these people that we have to cover all the bases to offer sacrifice even to deities that we're not aware of. Otherwise, who knows what's going to happen to us. So these were like the default position of worship. These were the just in case I miss somebody, I'm going to make a sacrifice to these altars right here. Mm -hmm. And what Paul says is the God that we worship is a God that is predictable. Mm. And that if we serve him, Mm. that we have security. And it was that security and hope in the early Christians' lives that became a testimony to their world, wasn't it? It was magnetic that somebody believed there was something certain, and Jesus Christ had given them that. All of these statues remind me of what an idolatrous culture it was and how many of the temples and gods and goddesses totally controlled the entire economy and the social system. Even this narrow hall, like how it it closes in on us, how the gods and goddesses closed in on that culture. If you wanted to be a participant in the broader culture, you had to play the game. Even if you didn't believe that these deities existed, many people opted for philosophy as an alternative, but you still had to be a participant in the cults. Which made it challenging for early followers of Christ who claimed Christ as their God. And they didn't have a temple, they didn't have idols. They must have been seen as a very strange group of people. And outsiders. And as a consequence, they encountered difficulties. They were persecuted. Sometimes they lost jobs. They lost economic opportunities and social opportunities. Many times were ostracized within communities. Joe, this is a statue of Hermes, uh, the Olympian deity who was a messenger god and a god who transported people to the underworld. Wasn't this the God that the people, when they saw Paul and Barnabas doing miracles, that they confused their power in Christ with the power of the gods and started to worship them? Yes, in Galatia. And they interpreted Paul's miracles the way anybody else would. That is, they interpreted it in terms of the deities that they knew. Paul and Barnabas were proclaiming to them a different deity, not one of the polytheistic gods that they were familiar with. They had no space in their mind for anything except that miracles would only come from the gods and the goddesses. The thought that Christ would do this was not on their radar at all. Not until later on, when Paul began to expound upon the gospel and to share in in more depth who this God was. Mark, when John pens the letters that Jesus dictates to him to the seven churches, I find it interesting. There's a lot of Johannine Uh, thoughts and imagery in these letters that Christ gives to the churches. Yeah, John loves dualisms. And one of the things that John emphasizes, not only in his gospel, but also in the letters, is the fact that uh, we are strangers to this world. Mm. And that just as Jesus was not well received in this world, so also as his disciples, we're not going to be well received. So our identity, we have to understand uh, that we, as Scripture often says, we're aliens here. In a sense, we don't really belong here, so we should expect some kind of friction and pressure.
But then that leads to the theme that Jesus does in his books so often in his letters to the churches of eternity. But this, this world is not really finally fully my home, but there will be great reward in eternity forever. So it's the temporary and the eternal, isn't it? And as John writes in his letters, First uh, John, written at Ephesus, he says, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. We always have to remember that our eternal abode is not here, mm. that God has prepared a place for us. And he comforted his disciples in John chapters 16 and 17 by making reference to the fact that our world, what we should be aspiring for, mm. is beyond what we see here. Yeah. I do think it's fascinating with the early Christians having that kind of sense, Mark, that yet they knew they were in the world and they brought the compassion of Christ into their world and the love of Christ into their world, which gave them a dynamic that people couldn't contradict. Maybe they could contradict their theology, but they engaged their culture with the love of Jesus Christ, which was really the power of the early church. And I think a message for us in our day as we experience increasing marginalization would be easy just to huddle down and wait for Jesus to come. And while we're not of this world, we are to be a dynamic force in this world for Jesus Christ by showing his love and compassion to those in need as well. The three parts to the writings. The supernatural visions noted in the book of Revelation were seen by John, referred to as the beloved disciple of Christ, on the island of Patmos, which was written right around 96 AD. This book has three primary divisions and categorical phases. The three are established in the first chapter, starting at verse 19. And it says, Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. John gets things started by talking about the seven lampstands. The things that John has seen are noted in verses 10 through 18, Christ being right there in the middle of these seven golden candlesticks, which is the main theme of these verses, and it is in past tense. The things which are take place in chapter 2 and 3. The period is dated from the day of Pentecost to rapture, and is stated in the Greek as present tense. This is the age of dispensation, and it's the age that we live in today. Let's take a look at our quick facts. The third element is probably what brings more mysterious confusion than any of the phases, because it's the things that will take place. These things that shall take place are those which will happen after the age of dispensation. The third and final category begins with chapter 4 and finishes in chapter 22 and ends at verse 5. This is the prophecy to be fulfilled portion of John's writings. It is critical that the student understands that this portion of Revelation is future in its tense. The seals, the trumpet, the vials, Babylon, the marriage of the groom, the reign of the Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon, the thousand-year reign of Christ, and Satan's imprisonment in the pit. All happens during this period. Each of these future, all things from chapter 4, verse 1, through the remainder of the book, yet to be fulfilled. 
We are presently living between Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 and chapter 3 verse 20. There are members of the Church of Philadelphia as well as probably all the other churches that are still active and alive today. I am of the personal belief that every Christian, true indwell believer, can be traced back to one of the churches. As close as we can tell, we are living towards the end of the age of dispensation of grace. Most likely, the next big event for the indwell Christians is going to be rapture. No one really knows the day nor the hour, but it is certain it will occur soon. Mark 13.32 says, But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of God, but the Father alone. For those of us seeking the coming of our groom and the searching of truth in the Word, we can quickly embrace the fact that the coming of Jesus is going to be happening soon. We should be watching the eastern sky for his arrival, his divine show of affection to us by rescuing us from the harm and destruction the enemy is planning for the entire world. And this is one of the greatest acts of compassion and love noted in Scripture. Revelation can be divided into 12 sections. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, is the introduction. Chapter 1, verses 10 through 18, are the seven golden candlesticks. Other words, the seven churches. Chapter 2 through chapter 3 is the departure of churches. Chapter 4 through 5 is the saints' positioning and the glorification. Chapter 6, verse 1 through chapter 8, verse 1, is the seven seals. Chapter 8 through chapter 9, the seven trumpets. Chapters 12 through 14, the two primary prophets. And chapters 15 through 16 is the seven vials of wrath. Chapters 17 through 18 is dealing with the new Babylon, Satan's headquarters. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 21, the destruction of Satan's structure. Chapters 21, 9 through 22, is the bride of the Lamb detailed. That would be the church, the indwelled believers. And finally, chapters 22, 6 through chapter 21, is the final encouragement. One of the best ways to describe chapters 4 and 5 is the focus switches from earthly things to heavenly things. Before the new earth and the new heaven, the saints are placed in their temporary home, and this action, the rapture, is what ends the age of the church. Within this book we see the number 7 in the way of the seven characters. These characters will play a major role in the coming crisis, judgments, and the glorious reign of Christ himself, which the first character is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. His whole mission and the theme is he's revealing his plan, past, present, and future. It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, 
among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherd of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The second character is the great dragon, known in modern times as Satan. Revelation 13.7 says it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and the authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. The third character is the beast, part of the devil's trinity, so to speak, that will control the political and financial arenas of the world. States in Revelation chapter 11 verse 7, When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Our character number four is the false prophet, again, part of the devil's triune that will control the world in regard to spiritual worship. It says in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, Then I saw another beast come out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast, in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. Character number five is the king of the north, a deadly ruler that comes down from the north to crush Israel. Obviously a significant figure, character that we see in global news every day. It says in Daniel chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, After an alliance is made with him, he will practice deception, and he will go up and gain power with the small force of people. In a time of tranquility, he will enter the richest parts of the realm, and he will accomplish what his fathers did not, nor his ancestors. He will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them, and he will devise his schemes against the strongholds, but only for a time. He will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south with a large army. So the king of the south will mobilize an extremely large and mighty army of war, and he will not stand, for schemes will be devised against him. Character number six is the king of the south, of course, another deadly force that will come up from the land of Egypt. says in Daniel chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, Then the king of the south will grow strong, along with one of the princes who will gain ascendancy over him and obtain dominion. His dominion will be a great dominion indeed. After some years they will form an alliance. And the daughter of the king of the south will come to the king of the north to carry out the peaceful agreement, but she will not retain her position of power, nor will she remain with his power, but she will be given up along with those who brought her and the one who desired her, as well as he who supported her in those times. That's right out of Daniel chapter 11 verses 5 and 6. Finally, number seven is Gog, the last dictator of present-day Russia, and the last character 
of power mentioned in Revelation. Ezekiel 36-37 predicts a gathering of the Jews to the nation of Israel, followed by this massive invasion. For 19 centuries, the Jewish people were scattered throughout the world until May 14, 1948. There was no nation of Israel to invade. With the nation of Israel now a reality, the stage seems to be set for this war that will usher in the tribulation and the rise of the Antichrist, a war that will end with the destruction of Israel's enemies by God himself. This is why in the daily news you hear about Israel, you hear about countries that come against her, constantly, consistently trying to prove that they are not a nation. Gog will be that leader of large and great army, which will come down on Israel like a storm, but only after Israel is feeling safe in her own land. Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 have much to say about this. Gog, the ruler, Magog, the land, and the allies of Gog will come against this little country of Israel and will be defeated by the Lord himself. Ezekiel 38-39 through tells us of the future invasion of Israel by a vast coalition of nations surrounding it. As we read the headlines in the newspapers of today and witness the conflicts of the Middle East, it's not hard to imagine this invasion prophesied over 2,000 years ago, which could be fulfilled in our lifetime. There are many theories as to who will join in this future invasion of Israel. This fact is clear, though. It will be a war to end all wars. There's many debates over who these people are that will rise up against Israel. I believe it will be a war of the descendants of the three sons of Noah. Ham, of course, is the father of the Muslim people. Japheth is the father of the Europeans, and Shem is the father of the Jews. Why is the land divided by earthquakes into three pieces? We might find our answer here. We hope you join us for more of our teachings on the book of Revelation. We look forward to having you log on to our Identity Matters Worldview Online School. We have many courses posted on this topic, as well as many others. Feel free to visit us. Thank you for joining our Revelation series. We're in the process of unlocking the power of prophecy. If you want more information about our institute, log on to www.worldviewinstitute.center. Until next time.